Give somebody a hug and say, welcome to church, and you may please be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Joy, so much joy in the house of the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'll be in verse 18 of First Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to conclude what I started last week, titled, The Attitude of Gratitude, part 2. And these messages are available on audio, audio mark, and all of the other channels and podcasts and stuff like that. And it's amazing how many people are downloading and listening across the world, especially in certain states in the U.S. and in some islands. We have people hooking into our service from Solomon Islands and from Libya. It's amazing how God's word is growing, and it will continue to grow. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 20, the Bible says, so mightily grew the word and prevailed. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. So you can expect God's word to grow mightily and to prevail over every challenge. And in your life, the word of God will prevail. Amen? Nobody is going under. Can I have an amen? amen. Nobody is going under. Can I have an amen? amen? The attitude of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Paul the Apostle to the Christians, to the believers at Thessalonica. And today I believe it's pronounced Thessaloniki. <laughs> it says, in everything, give thanks. In everything. That's powerful. Because it's not just in good things, he said. In everything. He didn't say for everything, but he said in everything. There are times that we go through, we suffer a loss. The loss of a job, or for some of us in the church, maybe you lost your dad, you lost your mom. Some of us have lost loved ones this year. Those are not very palatable experiences. So he's not saying that you should get up in the morning and say, Father, I thank you for my dad that has died or my mom that has died. No, you're not thanking God for that situation. But you are thanking God in that situation. He says, in everything... Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you in every situation. Anybody can praise God when all is well, when everything is going good. You don't even have to be a believer. I mean, when some people receive credit alert, their God has suddenly won, and they start singing and dancing. But can you sing and dance when there is no alert? Whether credit or debit, or debit, there is none at all. I'm not sure anybody gets a debit alert and they, they dance. <laughs> but a credit alert is very powerful. I shared it with us some time ago. It can make you smile in the middle of a funeral service. Your phone just be boom, 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 and then you turn it open, and then you find that you have been credited. But we are called to a life higher than that. We are called to a walk of faith. Such that whether it is, the time is good or not good, we are able to maintain a constant attitude. And you see, being constant, the ability to be constant comes with maturity in Christ-likeness. It is not very easy to be constant. That's why you find that people are up today, they are down tomorrow. When, when you preach a message on prayer, you can be sure that 24 hours that after that message, most of the people that listen to you will pray. 
their attitude towards prayer will change. But give it two, three weeks. How many people will maintain that same attitude two, three weeks down the line? When you preach on praise and worship or thanksgiving like this, everybody is thankful today. A few more will be thankful tomorrow. But how about two, three weeks down the line? Many would have forgotten what you shared with them. We have an enemy in this world who is a distractor. We have challenges that come our way. We have situations that don't want us to praise God. But our maturity in Christ-likeness begins to find expression as we gain constancy with God. As we gain consistency with God. Paul the Apostle wrote this not to a church that was having everything rosy at the time he wrote this epistle. It wasn't like everything was perfect. If you read the entire chapter, you'll find a whole lot of instructions that he gave to them. In verse 16, he told them to rejoice evermore. <laughs> you don't rejoice evermore when certain things happen, but he said against all odds, rejoice evermore. Not for a, a little season, not for just a short while. In verse 17, he told them, pray without season because it is possible to pray for a while and then to stop praying. It is possible to pray and stop and cease. But he said, pray without ceasing. Jesus left us an example. In Luke 18 verse 1, the Bible says, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint. In Mark 135, the Bible says, A great while before day, he arose and departed into a secret place and there prayed. But you see, Prayer, studying the word, giving thanks to God, and all of the other things we do as Christians that are part of our disciplines, uh, we don't do them very consistently many, many times because there are circumstances that are always negating against those things in our lives. And in fact, against our progress. And when those negative circumstances come, they want to hijack your attention. When you have a problem, for example, that's all you're thinking about. In the morning, you're thinking about it. In the afternoon, it's on your mind. In the night, it's on your mind. When you dream, you dream about it. When you speak to people, you speak problems. Now, God is singing, listen, you need to step up in 2024. Beyond your circumstances. As I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself as well. Because we are all here. You, so those of you that made it to the Judah last night, you heard senior pastor made a statement. Our lead pastor made a statement. He said, oh, this service has helped me beyond my struggles. I mean, you say, such a spiritual man. What kind of struggles do you have? Everybody has it. The most pious of men, they have it. It's just that many of them won't tell you. And if they tell you, what will you do about it anyways? In everything, give thanks. This is a commandment. Because it is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. In the school of aviation, they don't have professors. They don't have teachers. They have instructors. They give you instruction, you follow. In driving schools, they don't have professors. They have instructors. They instruct you what to do, you carry it out. You don't have a choice about debating what they said. If you want to learn how to drive, you listen to me. Put in the key. Turn on the ignition this way. Turn it clockwise. If you turn it anti-clockwise, you damage your car. You see that last pedal called, that's the clutch. The middle one is the brake. This very long one, you might not like the shape, is the throttle. Or the accelerator. To engage your gear, you press the last one at the left, which is called the clutch. You say, no, I don't like it. I don't like the shape. 
I like the one in the middle because it's very big. That is the brake. If you press the brake, you can't engage the gear. And then they tell you when you are cruising on the highway, maybe 60, meter, uh, 60 miles per hour, and then there is a sudden obstruction right in front of you. If you want to begin to decelerate, you use the middle pedal. It is called the brake. And then you're on the highway. A trailer is running down behind you, running hell for leather. And you are cruising at maybe 60, mile per, 60 kilometers per hour. And then you're supposed to decelerate because there's an obstruction in front of you. But you don't seem to like the shape of the pedal in the middle. You prefer the one that is very long, the accelerator. An accident may occur right there. Because you drive and continue to drive based on instructions. If you're supposed to accelerate and you press the brake, that guy behind you will hit you. What you see is what you get. But that is not our portion. Can I have an amen? Many destinies have been involved in accident because they refuse to listen to instructions. One of the things you need to do for yourself will be to listen to divine instructions as we go to 2024 and to obey them. Divine instructions are not subject to your suggestions. If you go to the school of aviation and they take you through the cockpit, I don't know how many weeks, and then they take you through uh, the school of flying itself, how to taxi on the runway, and then how to move. These are the buttons you press. Then you engage these particular buttons. And if you want to land, this is, these are the buttons you need to press to begin to, you know, uh, descend a little bit. Maybe you are already 33,000 miles above sea level. But begin to press this one, then you begin to come down. Then you don't like those buttons. It's not about whether you like them or not. If you press the wrong button, the airplane may crash land. And that's the end of everybody on board. So in flight school or aviation school, people stick to instructions. View your destiny like that. You must be someone under instructions. When you are too big to be instructed, you are heading for a crash. And we must all check our lives from time to time. Am I subject to instructions? Or I want to be the instructor of everybody. Part of the instructions that Paul gave us by the Holy Ghost here is to give thanks in everything. It is an instruction. Until you begin to treat it that way, you will not grow as a Christian and you won't be able to maximize God's plan for your life. It's not a suggestion. I'm telling you this morning that thanksgiving is an instruction. The children of Israel went through the wilderness as God delivered them from Egypt. They were going to the promised land, a journey of 11 days. Somebody say 11 days. They wound up spending 40 years in the wilderness. Not 40 days, 40 years. A whole generation was born. 40 years. Why? Because they refused to listen to instruction. God says, go to the left. They said, no, we're going to the right. God said, okay, now go to the right. They said, no, we're going to the left. God says, move. They said, we're not moving. God said, okay, now stay. They said, no, we're moving. Don't be rebellious. Give thanks. Let me preach to your neighbor this morning. Say, don't be rebellious. Give thanks. Thanksgiving was what set David aside in his generation. You remember the story we read last week? Second Samuel, chapter 6. Go back there to verse 23. Second Samuel, chapter 6. 
David had gone to fetch the ark of the Lord from the house of Obedidom. Obedidom was a Gittite. He was not an Israelite. He was not a Jew. He was not a Jewish person. The ark was coming. And because somebody died on the way, David said, no, take it to the house of Obedidom. But in those few weeks that the ark stayed in the house of Obedidom, the ark of God began to bless Obedidom. And so, in verse 12, it was told King David singing, the Lord has blessed the house of Obedidom and all that pertained unto him because of the ark of God. The ark symbolizes the presence of God. When God's presence comes into your life, he blesses your life. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obedidom into the city of David with gladness. How did he bring it? How did he bring it? With gladness. Whatever you are doing for God, you are better doing with gladness. You are praying, pray with gladness. You are singing, sing with gladness. You are ushering, usher with gladness. Because if you don't serve him with joyfulness or gladness, it attracts a curse. you find that in Deuteronomy 28, it's part of the curses there. So David fetched the ark, and then he was making sacrifices, and he was dancing before the Lord. They will move six steps, he will kill animals, and then they will dance before the Lord. I preached this last week, so if you were not here, go get the message. And his wife, Micah, the daughter of Saul. And I believe this was his first wife. She was given to him. <laughs> the father, before he, she gave, before he gave the, the lady to David, said, I need a, a hundred first kings of Philistines. David went and killed 200. That guy was an exceptional man. And this lady was not getting pregnant. What's going on here? The Holy Spirit zoomed into a private life. Look at what happened. David began to jump before the Lord, thanking God for delivering him from the hand of the enemies and thanking him for the Ark of the Covenant that was now coming back to the city of David. And the wife was despising him. David got back home to bless his own home after he had blessed everybody. And this woman despised him so much, uttered some derogatory remarks. And the Bible says in verse 22, David said, And I will yet be more vile than those, and will be base in my own sight, and of the mid-servants which thou hast spoken of, and of them shall I be had in honor. Verse 23, Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. Did David place a curse on her to be barren? Talk to me, church. If he did, the Holy Spirit would have recorded that in the Bible. Everything recorded is for our learning. Amen? David never placed a curse. But what people do not understand, and I want you to get this, church. Get this. Get this. God, even though people might not be there, God is looking at your attitude per time. And that was the point I made last week. Attitude of gratitude. I said, why attitude? Number one, because God is watching. God was there as the lady was in her room looking at David, despising him in her heart. David did not know that she was despising him. David was on the field jumping and his boxer shorts were showing. He didn't care. He danced with reckless abandon. The Bible says he danced with all his might. Today when we come to church, even when the choir sings danceable songs, it's like they have to beg some of us, your excellency, to please dance before the Lord. If David looks at this generation, I wonder how he would feel. 
but there is always a remnant in every generation. There are some who have forgotten about their BSc, their MSc, their PhD, their LLL, LLM, LLB, MTN. They've forgotten everything. When they come to the presence of the Lord, they dance with reckless abandon. God is raising that generation. Can I have an amen to that? David never cursed the woman, but God was there. As the two of them were engaging, this must be in their room. They were engaging in this conversation. God was there. David never said, Lord, see how she reproached me. If I be a man of God, stop cursing people. So men of God who love to curse, that's their, that's their own ministry. Even stop fighting. Let God fight. It's sweet. Ignore, as if you didn't hear. Are you with me? Ignore. Just move on. David never placed a curse on the woman. But till today, the Bible says, this woman was barren until the day of her death. No other women in the Bible died barren. There were some who were barren at the beginning, but they became joyful mother of children. Psalm 68 and verse 6, the Bible says, God sets the solitary in families. If you read that entire chapter, you find where he says, he makes the barren woman a joyful mother of children. Makes the barren woman to keep house and to become a joyful mother of children. Elizabeth was barren, but she later became the mother of John the Baptist. The wife of Manoah was barren, but she became later the mother of Samson. Anna was barren. God opened her womb. She became the mother of Samuel the prophet. And she said in 1 Samuel 1.27, For this child I prayed. Mama Sarah was barren. But did she become the mother of Isaac the beloved? And so on and so forth. Even when Isaac got married, his wife Rebecca was barren. He entreated the Lord for her. And the Lord opened her womb and she became the mother of Jacob and Esau. Jacob got married to Rachel and Leah. Rachel was barren. Jacob also... Uh, Entreated the Lord for, for her, and Rachel became a joyful mother of children. Every woman that was barren in the Bible got their womb opened, and they had children of promise. All ex except this woman, Michael. And on what platform? Wrong attitude. Listen, a bad attitude is like a flat tire. Until you change it, you're not going anywhere. Are, are you thankful for what God has done? No, he has not done anything this year. I prayed he should give me a visa. I prayed he should give me elevation. I prayed he should do this for me. He didn't do it. He hasn't done it. I'm not going to praise him. All right? Keep your praise to yourself. Pocket it and eat it. God is watching. Some say, well, I'm thanking God for all the small wins of 2023. I don't have small wins. Can I have an amen? Everything God has done in my life is big. Big wins. Like when somebody's having their birthday, they say, more wins, Abby. Whatever God does is big. Can I have an amen to that? I have a very big God. I serve a very big God. And so he does, whatever he does for me is great. And so he is greatly to be praised. Let's read through a few scriptures. Psalm 86 and verse 10. And media, you need to help me now because I need to move very fast. Psalm 86 and verse 10. This service is unusually longer today or unusually long today because we have combined two major things. Testimonies and thanksgiving. So please, bear with me. Okay? Is that okay, church? Psalm 86 and verse 10. Alright, let's read it together, everybody. For you are small 
and you do small things, you are God alone. What does it say? For thou art great. And then you do wondrous things, marvelous things. You are God alone. Psalm 72 and verse 18. Psalm 72 and verse 18. Psalm 72 and verse 18. Yes, let's go. Psalm 72 and verse 18. Psalm 72 and verse 18. Are we there? Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth small things. What does he do? Wondrous things. Psalm 77. Psalm 77. I'm going to take it from verse 13. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary, who is so great. 5-9. NLT. He does great things, too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. That will be our portion even before this year is over in the name of Jesus. Give it to me in MSG, message translation, 5-9. Message translation, very interesting. Let's read, everybody, let's do, let's go. One, two, go. After all, he's famous for great and unexpected acts. There is no end to his surprises. God will give you miracle surprises this year. That's the God we serve. Give, it, give me Job 9-10. Job 9-10, message. Job 9-10, chapter 9 and verse 10, message. Let's read everybody. It used to be part of our confession back in the day. One, two, go. We will never comprehend all the small things he does. What does he do? Great things. All the great things he does. His miracle surprises cannot be counted. That will be your experience as this year winds down and as the new year comes in in the name of Jesus. I wrap that up by telling you again, anyone can give thanks when everything is okay. But people of faith give thanks and are thankful even when everything is not going good. This is the example that Christ has shown us. That even in the face of opposition, we must be thankful and we must give thanks. Number two that I want to share with you. Why attitude? Why is your attitude important? Number one, I said because God is looking, God is watching. Number two, Satan also is watching. It will amaze you. In the realm of the spirit, we are being monitored. We are being surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. When you have a thankful attitude, God is watching. When it is not thankful, God is also watching. But not only God. Even Satan is interested. There are moments of adversity in our lives. At such times, just as God is observing our attitude, Satan also is observing. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. Deuteronomy 8 2. Very quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And verse 2, it underscores the fact that God is watching. But I'm pushing the point a little further. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Wilderness is not a very good place you want to be. To humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart. Whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. So as God is watching, Satan is watching. But why is Satan watching? He's watching because he's the accuser of the brethren. The accuser is observing so that he can have something with which to accuse us. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. I had a loud voice singing in heaven. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren, that's Satan, is cast down which accused them before our God day 
and night. How often does he accuse? How often does he accuse us? He accused Job of being blessed and protected. Job chapter 1, 9 to 11. When God was boasting about Job, have you considered Job my servant? The one that loves God and eschews evil? And Satan said, then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? <laughs> Why does he have stuff? So when God blesses you, Satan beefs you. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's not only people that beef you. Even Satan beefs you when God blesses you. Satan, Satan, even though he can't drive cars, he can't use material stuff, he's the spirit. He's beefing us. First of all, because he cannot be saved. Amen? We are saved. We're in the kingdom of God. So he's angry. Then number two, when God blesses you, Satan is envious. That's why a child of God has nothing to do with envy. It's a characteristic. It's an attribute of Satan. When you find yourself envying another person, repent quickly. Come on, give that to me. Job 1, 1 9. Job 1 9. Whoever is in charge of the system, please don't give me the design. Thank you. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Nothing or for not? Verse 10. Verse 10. Hast thou not made an edge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? How did you know, Mr. Satan, that there was an edge? There was an edge. Around Job. Because he had tried before now to penetrate. He had tried before now to attack Job. But he met with an edge. An edge of protection. It is called the blessing wall. It is around every child of God that is born again. It is supernatural. It is unseen. But it's an edge of protection around you. That's why the Bible says, he that breaks the edge, the serpent will bite. As a child of God, don't break the edge. Don't step out of your security zone. Don't step into sin. When you step into sin, you're exposing yourself to the attack of the enemy. There are some attacks that we invite ourselves. Now, whether you invite or not, it will attack you anyways. But there are some that we just unduly expose ourselves to. Satan said, have you not made, made an edge about him and about his house? About his family? So when God protects, he doesn't just protect you, he protects your family as well. Are you with me, church? Are you with me, church? God protects your family as well. And about all that he has on every side, about all, he said there is an edge around everything that Job has. God also protects your property. Amen? Can I have an amen? God also protects your business. You might be sleeping in your bedroom. God is protecting your business wherever it is. Even if it's online. <laughs> Glory to God. Look at what Satan said. This guy is really envious. He was really beefing Job. He said, thou, can you imagine? Thou hast blessed. Look at the word blessed. Thou hast blessed. Baraka. The work of his hands. May God bless the work of your hands. So this blessing is real. So real that even Satan took notice. He said, you have blessed the work of his hands. And as a result of the blessing, and his substance is increased in the land. Church, God wants us to increase. God wants you to increase. God wants you to prosper. Don't listen to people that tell you, you know, prosperity is bad. It, it, it will take you away from God. Poverty can take you easily away from God if you are not rooted in Christ. Because you will steal money from your organization. 
What do you think the problem of Nigeria is? Poverty. Oh, but those people are rich. People at the end of affairs, they are rich. No, they have poor mentality, poverty mentality. That's what they're stealing. I pray for you again. May God bless you, bless the works of your hands, and increase your substance. In 3 John and verse 2, it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to be in health, not in sickness, in health. Anyone watching online today and you're in sickness, God will turn that around and you're going to have your health restored in Jesus' name. And anyone here listening to me this morning and your health has been challenged, God will restore your health in the name of Jesus. Look at what Satan said in verse 11. He said, but put forth your hand now. Do it. Touch him. Touch all that he has. And he's going to curse you to your face. He spoke American English there. And he's going to curse you. Satan was telling God. He's going to curse you to your face. <laughs> and that chapter ended and a new chapter began. Job began to lose things in the natural. Lose business. He began to lose. He began to lose. He began to lose. When you begin to lose, you need to go back to the place of prayer and say, God, what is going on in my life? It is not time to seek Dibia. It is not time to go to the oracle. It is not time to go to Alphaz. It is not even time to go to the prophet on the mountain. It is time to go to God. Are you with me? He is the God of your life's journey. He's interested in everything in your life. So go back to him. Satan came again. He tried to achieve this purpose of Job cursing God through his wife. When everything was happening, all hell was breaking loose, Job maintained his attitude. He refused. The Bible says in all of these things, Job did not sin. He refused to curse God. He refused to have a wrong attitude. Then Satan came through his wife. Job chapter 2 and verse 9. The exact words that Satan used, the wife used. Satan said to God, touch him and you will see he will curse you to your face. He will curse you. Look at what the wife said, Job 2.9. Then said his wife unto him, Does thou still retain thine integrity, Mr. Integrity? Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. And if Job had listened to her, he would have cursed God and he would have perished. And he would never have been able to witness the restoration that God was bringing later in his life. Let me tell you, child of God, listen to this. No matter what you go through now, God has something bigger in your future. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Don't commit suicide now. Your miracles are still coming. Amen? The bigger you is still coming. A better you will still emerge. A more glorious destiny is awaiting you. Can I have an amen? Just make sure you don't die now. Don't commit suicide now. Don't! And don't you ever do it. Ever! It is in time of testing and trial that what is on the inside of you comes out. In time of adversity, testing and trial, what is on the inside of you comes out. You must remind yourself of scriptures. Remind yourself of the word of God. I'm talking to someone this morning who is probably going through tough times. 2023 is almost over and you have a whole lot going on. It's a lot, like you say in your generation. It's a lot. 
It is time to immerse yourself in the word of God. Let me dash you some scriptures. Let me bless you with some scriptures. Go to Job chapter 5. That's in Job chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 8 to 12. And you want to write this down for meditation. Not just for reading, but for meditation. I discovered them also in my very dark moments. Very dark. Pitch dark. Job chapter 5. We'll read from verse 8 to 12, and then we skip some verses. I'll be telling you what verses I want you to note. I would seek unto God. Let's read it together. One, two, go. I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause. Verse 9. Who doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Who giveth rain upon the earth, and sendeth waters upon the fields. To set up on high those that be low. Are you low? God will set you on high. Can I have an amen? So that those which mourn may be exalted to safety. God will exalt you to safety in the name of Jesus. Look at verse 2. A very dangerous scripture. He disappoints the devices of the crafty. So that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. I don't know those who have ganged up against your life. Against your destiny. They want to terminate your life. They want to abort your destiny. The Bible says that God will disappoint their devices. That amen is not born again. So that their hands will not be able to perform their enterprise in the name of Jesus. These are scriptures to meditate on. Meditate, chew on them. Chew until the word becomes flesh in your body and in your spirit. Go to verses 19 and 20. Verse 19. He shall deliver thee in six troubles. Say amen. If you are still around, say amen. He shall deliver thee in six troubles. Yea, in seven, there shall no evil touch thee. Uh-uh, only two people came to church. Let me say that again. I'm, I'm praying this over your life now. He shall deliver thee in six troubles. Yea, in seven, there shall no evil touch thee. Verse 20. In famine, he shall redeem thee from death. And in war from the power of the sword. No evil will befall you in the mighty name of Jesus. These are powerful scriptures. You need to chew on. I skip verse 16. Verse 16 says, So the poor has hope, and iniquity stoppeth them out. So you, you are never hopeless. Amen? And you will never be hopeless in the mighty name of Jesus. Let me give another scripture to chew on. Nahum 1.7. Nahum is not a scripture you read oftentimes. Nahum, some of you don't know where it is. <laughs> it's in the Old Covenant. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Media, are you looking for it? Okay now, let's go everybody. One, two, go. The Lord. The Lord is bad. The Lord is what? Good. Germans will say good. The Lord is good. One, two, go. Let's read again. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. Hold on to that scripture. It will help you. It will help you have a good attitude. Psalm 34, verses 17, and 19, 17 to 19. Psalm 34, 17 to 19. Psalm 34, 17 to 19. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of how many of their troubles? All of them. Verse 18. Verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart and saveth 
such as we have a contrary spirit. Verse 19, many, not few, many are the afflictions of the wicked. Of whom? The, are you the righteous? So when you see many afflictions, don't give up. Many are they, but God won't leave you in the midst of afflictions. But the Lord, someone say, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. You are going to be delivered out of them all in the mighty name of Jesus. And according to Mark, uh, Luke 21, 13, it will turn to you for a testimony. I said, it will turn to you for a testimony. You will testify to the goodness of God in the mighty name of Jesus. Job chapter 8 and verse 20. This is one dangerous scripture I've been using in recent times. Job 8, 20. Ancient word. It's an ancient word. Very old scripture. <laughs> Yet very potent. It said, behold, God will not cast away a perfect man. Neither will he help the evildoers. If you're a child of God, God will not cast you away. Even though you might feel forsaken, you might feel forgotten, you might feel alone, but God will not cast you away. Somebody say, God will not cast me away. Neither will God help the evildoers. Your enemies are evildoers. People trying to terminate your life, terminate your destiny, abort God's plan for your life, God will not help them. Somebody was trying to play a smart one. This last Friday. And I was away. We have a case. I have a case with the person. And he had done everything to do. He knew to do. And he was going to get away. And they called me. While, while I was away, they called me from town. And they told me everything going on. I said, okay, no problems. I turned off my phone. And I faced God. I was in the midst of a crowd. I separated myself. I got a chair. I sat down. And I put the scripture before the Lord. I said, Lord. You will not cast away a perfect man. As far as this case is concerned, you know my stand. And you know everything that is going on. I said, but your word also says that you will not help the evildoers. These people, this man is an evildoer. With all the people that have joined him, they are evildoers. And your word says you will not help them. So Lord, no matter who helps them, you don't help them. <laughs> because if you don't help them, then they are not helped. Uh, if a man helps you but God does not help you, you have no help. But if people swear and they say they are not going to help you, but God says, I will help you, God is more than enough. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Even if a man lifts you, he can only lift you to the height of his hand. But when God lifts you, it's beyond the reach of man. Are you with me, church? Are you with me, church? Get yourself immersed in the word of God. This changes your attitude in adversity. It changes your attitude in adversity. Let's go to Psalm 35. Let me also show you some dangerous scriptures there. Psalm 35, it will help you a lot. Psalm 35, I'm going to be in verses 1 to 10, and I'll take more verses. Psalm 35, let's be very fast and read this together. It was a prayer offered to God. It said, plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight me. In Yoruba Bible. <laughs> Let God fight them. Verse 2. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. The psalmist said, God, take on your battle arsenal and fight for me. Come to my help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Verse 4, let them be confounded and put to shame that seek unto my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that divides my heart. Let them be as chaff before the wind. Let the angel of the Lord chase them. Hey. In America, a pastor got a strange text message. It was a distress call. To come to a place, to come and rescue someone. 
Pastors are very vulnerable. They can call us in the midnight. We get up. We go. The man got in his car. He drove to the address. When he got to that address, he found no one there. Got down from his car. He looks round. Looks round. Nobody. Ah, but this is the address. It was a distress call. He came to rescue someone. Saw nobody. Got back into his car after a while and drove back home. The next day, he got another text message. A phone call this time. The man called. He said, who were those men with you last night? The pastor said, I came there alone. He said, no, you didn't come alone. You came with an army. They were all dressed in white. They had their sword and they, had, they carried shield ready to battle. Then the pastor understood, oh my God, my angels showed up. His angels were there. They decided by the instruction of God to reveal themselves. This building is filled with angels now. You can't see them because they move faster than the speed of light. But if they slow down their pace, God will grant you supernatural access to see them. Many times, no, I'm not praying, no, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Don't pray to see an angel because Satan can, Satan is an angel too. And we have that in Corinthians. He, he can disguise it as an angel of light. So when you say, Lord, please let me see an angel, he can show up and it will hurt you. So we don't pray to see an angel. But God can grant you access. When God grants you access to see one, let me tell you, you will be afraid. But the angel will tell you, be not afraid. That's one of the things that is constant in the scriptures. Don't be afraid. I'm from God. And you see the aura of God around them. Can I have an amen to that? The angels went with this man. He would have been assassinated. But because of the ministry of angels, the enemies took off. When they saw those angels, they took off. In these few days remaining this year, and in the days to come, anyone plans to terminate your life, the angels of God will chase them. You find that in the scripture. Write it down when you get home, go and read it. Psalm 35, 1 to 10. Then verse 15. Then verses 17 to 19. Verses 24 to 25. Then 27 to 28. I want to wrap this up. Number three. Why is your attitude important? Your attitude shows where you belong. Your attitude shows where you belong. In this world, we will have challenges, but the most important thing is for your challenges to not have you. May your problems not have you. May your challenges not have you. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I'll leave you with my peace. In this world, he said, you will have tribulation. These things I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer means have a good attitude. I have overcome the world. In Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34, it was in the midnight. Paul and Silas, they had been beaten. They had been battered. They were bleeding in their chains. But as they began to pray and to praise God, God began to turn things around for them. Stand on your feet, everybody. One of my shortest messages. Because you've taken my time. <laughs> we're going to praise God. Just five minutes. We're going to praise God. And I want this to, to, to well up from your heart to God. Look at your life. Thank him for the breath in your nostrils. Thank him. Thank him for the water you drink. Thank him for the blood flowing through your veins. Thank him for food on the table. Thank him for your parents. 
Thank him for sound health. Thank him for his mercies. Thank him for his compassion. You <laughs> can bring the Holy Ghost now and give him thanks. Just give him thanks. I come before you today. That's how we wrap up this service. And there's just one thing that I want to say. say.